1: Who said I never gave spoilers? The spoilers are loose, folks. For DC Fandom, the most exciting fan event of the year, for the premiere of season three of HBO's Succession, and who knows what else. So, listen, you can't make a podcast without breaking a few spoilers, and if you don't like the spoilers, then fuck off! <laughs> I'm Jason Concepcion. Welcome to episode eight of X-Ray Vision, the Crooked Podcast, where we dive deep into your favorite shows, movies, comics, pop culture, and more. Today, a packed show. On previously on, we'll be covering uh, the latest news, including the release delays in the MCU, as well as the cancellation of Why's uh, super engaging. Our hero is really fun to hang out with. Why the last man? In the airlock, we'll be diving deep into the trailers and announcements from DC fandom, including Batman trailer, the Flash teaser, and various clips from upcoming DC video games. In the omnibus, I'll be uh, breaking down the genre of battle royale narratives. In honor of the continuing popularity of Squid Game on Netflix, in The Hive Mind, we welcome uh, writer Dave Schilling of Galaxy Brains to play Boar on the Floor with us. And we'll be talking about the highly anticipated season three premiere of HBO Succession. In The Endgame, we will rank our favorite fictional billionaires. It's a tough list, but we will do it nonetheless. First, let's welcome back to the show, writer for various screens of all sizes, Panelist extraordinaire, funny person extraordinaire, the great Cody Ziggler. Zig, welcome.
2: Thanks for having me back, buddy. Uh, As you have already said, it's succession season. So my use of the words fucking off have skyrocketed and they're going to be skyrocketing for the next nine weeks. So I'm glad to be back.
1: It's war. Fuck off. (laughs) It's war.
2: Fuck off. Get me a whole contingency of white shoe lawyers on the phone. (laughs)
1: Yeah. So what. Country without an extradition treaty, do you think you would you would fly to if you needed to do that? Now the question is, does it look weak? Does it look weak if I fly mm-hmm. to Sarajevo? Is that fine?
2: I, you, look, you gotta but, look strong. It's all, look if if Roy if Roy saws anything, you gotta look strong. You know, uh, yeah. I you know what? I'm I'm a I'm a Beach Boy, so like I think I'm hitting the Maldives. Like I want to set up Hell right yeah. by the ocean, <laughs> get one of those like platform like rooms like right out on the sea, and just chill there. Like I'll keep my I'll keep my right hand lieutenants like a couple doors down, so like if I need them. I'll I'll holler for for my boy to come in and like get a plane charted for me at a moment's notice. I got a whole thing plane. planned out.
1: Hugo, I need a plane. <laughs> All right. Let's get to some news and recaps on today's previously on. First up, uh, some rescheduling, moving around of release dates for MCU films. Disney has delayed the release of a number of Marvel films as well as the untitled Indiana Jones uh fifth entrant into the indiana jones series starring a 79 year old harrison ford they're gonna wheel him has, out who has been uh in two plane crashes in the last three years <laughs> for which he was the pilot uh, and is injured on set every time he makes a movie uh lord protect harrison ford yeah. Put him under your light, put him under your protection, keep him in your strong right hand because we need him and he keeps uh, aiming his planes directly at the ground. <laughs>
2: yeah, we get him in a flight simulator. He'll he'll need to get those numbers up, B. <laughs>
1: uh, okay, so the affected films are Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness pushed from March 25th to May 6th, 2022. Thor Love and Thunder goes from May 6th back to July 8th. Black Panther Wakanda Forever goes from July 8th to November 11th. The Marvels, November 11th, 2022 to February 17th, 2023. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania goes from February 17th, 2023 to the summer, July 28th, 2023. Uh, that is very interesting. I, You know, like there's a huge, as we come out of the pandemic, there are a huge backlog of films yeah. that uh, are waiting to go into the theaters. So I, I don't know how much of that. Uh, plays into this but pretty exciting i or pretty interesting certainly that ant-man and the wasp is like now the big summer tentpole movie for 2023 it's interesting
2: yeah yeah i mean i guess i mean i have no idea what happens to that movie but uh, you know guessing from um loki it seems like that's right. gonna be That's like i know that's like king's like i guess it's gonna be king's big debut on the on the big screen so maybe they're building towards that and also Maybe they're also realizing like we have a million TV shows that are also on the slate that we need to like divvy yes. out over the next year and some change. So uh, I, I I'm I'm guessing that's what's what's going on because they have so much stuff popping off, and that's not even thinking about like the Star Wars of it. Like I don't know. If, I'm assuming going to be dropping more Star Wars stuff over the yes. next year. It's Like you know, uh, uh, it's a great time to enjoy all this stuff, but also at the same point, you're like, man, I have a lot of homework to do if you're like trying to keep track of of these of these things that's going on across these different franchises.
1: Yeah, to your point with the multiverse effect, you know, fully active now mm-hmm. moving one film kind of means you got to move them all in yeah. relation to whatever, uh, mm-hmm. has been, has been pushed back or pushed up. So I would imagine that's, you know, that's part of what's going on here. And then of course, you know, B- Black Panther is currently filming. Mm-hmm. So a lot of stuff moving around that next, why the last man has been canceled. It brings me no pleasure to say this. Yeah. I did not like the show, but I thought it was well made and well acted, and I thought everybody in it was good. It wasn't for me. Uh, it's not a shock, I think, if you watch the show. It's kind of like, listen, Yorick. Look in my reread to prepare for that series. It was mm. like, oh, Yorick does kind of suck, but it's but there's like a comedic element to it where the depiction is as much a criticism of him as it is anything else. And there's like, you know, a lighter touch that is possible in the comics in the show where it's like there's just dead bodies laying all around and people are getting tortured and murdered like all the time. Yorick's inability to engage with how serious things are just, made him super annoying.
2: Yeah, it, it, it's hard to latch on. I mean, I, I have not read those comics in like a decade. It's so, like I'm yeah. pretty far removed from them. But like I do remember it being a little bit more light. And I don't, I don't know. If, I'm sure that the art style plays into that as well. Like it's yeah. a pretty high key comic and, and until it gets to, like dramatic moments. But like, you know, as I was watching this series, I was like, I fucking hate Yurik. Like he's yeah, not an like, endearing yeah. guy. Like he, he it, it, it's one thing to like the refuse the call. But like when the stakes are so high and it's so evident yes. how important he is to this like it was it was really hard to be like i want to root for this guy for you know four or five more seasons it was tough to get through
1: on the one hand like the you are literally the last male mm-hmm. juxtaposed with you are so not worthy of yeah. that or anything else mm-hmm. like that was kind of interesting but yeah, yeah 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 like i i agree with you same thing it's like at a certain point a human reaction would be well, I'm the last guy. I kind of have to do it. I don't yeah. want to, and I would love to go to Australia and like uh, find my girlfriend and marry her. Mm-hmm. But I guess the seeing as how I am the last human male, I guess the stakes are higher than that,
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, and also I found myself being way more interested in his sisters. I'm like, yeah. I was like, oh, I mean, even in the comics she has such an interesting journey. I was like, I would have just watched his sister do everything and hang out with like her friends and and, you know, do her journey as opposed to watching, you know, Yorick and his monkey and Ampersand Wine for for 40 minutes
1: here's another thing from rereading the comics put a fucking leash on ampersand after the <laughs> second time the monkey runs away tie something around his fucking neck yeah like i'm sick of this <laughs> why is the monkey constantly running away it, it uh, shouldn't keep happening folks yorick tie something around this monkey's ankle and stop letting this happen
2: yeah, it really did become like a monster of the week. Like, how how is Ampersand going to get out of this, get, out, get away from him in this one? You know, what hijinks is he going to lead to?
1: Uh, a showrunner, Eliza Clark, released a statement on Twitter, uh, reading in part, quote, I have never in my life been more committed to a story and there is so much more left to tell. FX has been an amazing partner. We have loved working with them and we're sad that why The Last Man is not going forward. But we know that someone else is going to be very lucky to have this team in the story. We are committed to finding why it's next home. So that's one yeah. of the cool one of the cool things about the streaming era is that like if something has any kind of support, mm-hmm. any kind of fan support, vocal fan support, the you know the more vocal the better, then mm-hmm. it will find a place at some streaming network that will then pick it up and say, Hey, yeah, sure. Like we'll take, we'll take this.
2: Yeah. I mean, and I also, I mean, I, I know that I said I didn't enjoy most of the first season, but like a lot of shows don't find their voice until the second and third season. Yes. And like, this is such a big swing and I do love the updates that they made. Like I, I, all the problems that I sort of had with the comics, like they were addressing in interesting ways because I think the writing team was not a bunch of yeah. straight white men. Uh, so like, I do hope that they, you know, they get a second shot to like make a, another season because they, the story does go with some really fun, interesting places. And like, I think, I think I was just waiting for that spark of like the fun because it is a very heavy story. But it's like, it is nice story. seeing like the fun of it and be like, oh yeah, this is why I come back. Like, it's nice getting some some levity in between watching everybody die and sort of devolve into like their base human forms.
1: Yeah, I hope it finds a home. You know, it was not for me, but I thought mm-hmm. it was everybody who was in it was great yeah, and was really acting their ass off it looked like a million zillion bucks mm-hmm. and you know the writing was quite good even though yeah. it was again I had, I had protagonist problems <laughs> alright when Zig and I come back we will be coming out of the airlock to talk about the DC fandom
0: you like to watch new stuff right? well go to Hulu and see what's new cause Hulu has new stuff all the time
1: Folks, we're back, and we're so excited to step out of the airlock today and into the DC Extended Universe after Saturday's exciting DC (laughs) fandom. That's right. For all those folks wondering when we'd start talking about DC Comics and characters like Superman, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, and more, guess what? Today is the day. Starting with the trailers... For the much-anticipated *The Batman* (laughs) by Matt Reeves, and *The Flash*, as well as *The Peacemaker*, starring wrestling superstar John Cena. (laughs) Sorry, I just got done uh, watching three and a half hours of. (laughs) of
2: It's like I'm right back there, (laughs) watching them like vamp, (laughs) vamp and tea up to Crypto and Ace.
1: Let me just say this some of the reveals really exciting, really fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think DC, I really like that. They are making moves now to quite clearly to be like, here, here is our brand. Our brand is crazy animated shit. Mm -hmm. Our brand is we're a little bit more adult than our competitors. Like Mm -hmm. even like, we're going to show you the animated version of injustice and Metropolis is going to get fucking nuked. So kids cover your eyes right like legitimately mm-hmm. the host of that of that clip was like sorry it's a little adult i know it's not fair right kids well maybe one day you'll be old enough to watch dc's injustice watch <laughs> a s- clip now
2: yeah you see Superman just like run through the fucking joker in the yeah, it's
1: like, he's got like literally his his like arm is like dipped in blood up to the elbow. It's like whoa. Okay.
2: Yeah, I, I will say uh, you know a good benefit of DC is like is that they can take those wild swings. Yeah. Like they can just make yeah we're gonna make an R rated Batman movie or we're gonna make a uh, we're gonna make a Harley Quinn and just have that be the most bonkers out there show as opposed to like you know Marvel is very much hey we're we're PG PG thirteen when it's a, Disney, a soft we yeah. are
1: a Disney company folks yeah yeah
2: yeah you you get you maybe get one one hard s word per movie but that's really it
1: okay, no f's one hard s yeah. and, and a robot will get dismembered but that's it yeah yeah okay let's start with uh clearly the headliner the batman trailer mm-hmm. uh ben affleck was attached for a while was supposed to star in this and then uh tapped out because he hated his own script yeah. <laughs> He was like my <laughs> script sucks so much that I don't want to make this movie. Yeah, I okay. got to tap
2: out, yeah. yeah
1: I got to tap out. So they, got, uh, so they got Matt Reeves. It is a look at the younger version of Batman that, than mm-hmm. we've seen thus far. It is Batman in his sophomore year of doing Batman shit. And it is a brutal and dark look. But I got to <laughs> say, which I think, listen, brutal and dark, we get it. It's Batman. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited for uh for the Robert Pattinson Batman. He's bringing a kind of like he's bringing a particular kind of energy that I am excited to engage with. Yeah, uh, what did you
2: think? Yeah, I mean, I I so I will admit that my most of my Batman love comes from the animated series. Like that's the mm-hmm. Batman that I know in the Arkham video games. Like I I know it sounds sacrilege, but like, I've never been the hugest Batman fan. Oh. I know it's crazy. Like I love his video games and I love his his animated movies, but like I've never been like, "Oh, I I love Bruce Wayne." But I oh, I like I like the idea that they're going to do we we're going to do Batman, not even we we're going to do Batman year 2. Like he's been doing it yeah. for a little while. He's got his stuff up and running. Like I also like that they cast a younger guy to be Batman again, you know, like I think because we've had like older, you know, older Dark Knight Batman for the past couple of years. It's like like oh, it's nice getting just some youthful energy, a guy that his knees aren't hurting yet. You know, yeah. You know, Batman three, you know, he has his knee blown out. Like it's, yeah. it's <laughs> nice it's nice getting some like, it's like a guy that doesn't have back pain in it. And right, also, it's like...
1: just,
2: yeah, it's just, it's nice getting some like nice, useful cast, like, you know, Paul Dini and, and Zoe Kravitz. Like, it's just nice getting like, a new way to, be, like, yes, they can wear this mantle for the next couple of years, as opposed to being burnt out in the next two, two or three movies.
1: Cast is really fun. Zoe Kravitz mm-hmm. as Catwoman, uh, Perfect. I think we all, like, like if yeah. you wanted to in a, in just one glimpse capture the uh, will they, won't they toxic sexual energy mm-hmm. of Batman and Selena Kyle. I think you get it from those two standing next to each other. Paul Dano as the Riddler. Uh, we never see his face, but that's fine. Uh, yeah. Colin Farrell. I was blown up. Like, OK, so a meme <laughs> on the Internet that we see recently is like. You know, Matt Damon is unrecognizable in this movie. And then you look at it and it's like, okay, that's fucking Damon. He's Matt got a Damon. mustache.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. just like Matt Damon. That's
1: Matt Damon. He's wearing a trucker hat and, a- and he's got a mustache. And it's Matt yeah. Damon. Colin Farrell, legitimately unrecognizable. Yeah.
2: I was like, who's this character, character actor they got to play the penguin? Who do they pull out of digital casting to, to do this?
1: I was absolutely like fascinated by every clip of Colin Farrell in. <laughs> Some of the best jowl like oh yeah makeup I've ever seen yeah that is skin like jowls I don't know if it's a combination of CG or what or in camera yeah. but he looks like Oswald Cobblepot like yeah
2: I, I I love the I love the art direction and production design of this it feels like I'm watching an Arkham game which I love that take yeah, on too. the Batman and like I I'm really excited for like this for this version and I know it, I'm hoping. I feel like, I mean, we'll get to this eventually when we talk to Flash, but it feels like all this stuff is going to be, this has a short s- shelf life, but I'm hoping this one sticks it through and makes it into, like, if they end up doing some type of DC reboot, like, this version sticks around.
1: What do you think, like, rents are like in Gotham? And what is the industry? <laughs> like, is it a industrial, like, I guess, you know, Wayne Industries, so there's, mm-hmm. like, tech yeah. and theoretically, like, consumer electronics, maybe, or and like like finance and automobiles. Mm. It's obviously like, you know, based on like a Midwest, like Detroit and or Mm -hmm. Chicago, but like uh, there's the docks. Yeah. There's like shipping at the docks, but what is, why would, a like, why would we move to Gotham and how much would we pay?
2: Yeah. So I think that, I think the answer, the rent is going to be, incredibly low for most of the places until you hit that certain tax bracket and you're like, we we have the best security here. so like we're going to have to pay a a lot of money. I got a
1: studio overlooking Crime Alley It's like 500 Yeah, (laughs)
2: Yeah. I got a a five story walk up above above Ace Chemicals. Uh, The rent's not bad, but you know, every now and then guys in black masks show up. Uh it's yeah it's one of those things where they just i think like they just manufacture like what they do. they just make right. a product and then like <laughs> they ship it out through planes through the docks, which everyone hangs out at and in some type of like monorail system
1: i mean this is a Batman trope, which is like mm-hmm. oh everybody everybody shoots the bat symbol on my chest. that's why I have all the padding there that is like yeah. a, that is a Bruce Wayne staple, but like when you're shooting at the Batman from a foot away. Why not shoot him in the exposed face area? <laughs> why are you, Why do you keep shooting him in the completely apparently now completely bulletproof yeah chest portion of Batman's armor?
2: He's got that Mando armor, like he just shrugs <laughs> it off like <laughs> yes, that.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah, it was it was yeah, I I I had that thought too. I was like, you know, it's gonna be one guy with one gun, some dumb criminal. Yeah, he's not gonna think yeah. of it. But like, he gets lit up a lot in this we like, they're airing the block out. <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> just just raise that gun five inches and I think you got him, man. <laughs> you can take him out. You can make a guy that broke the bat.
1: The fighting look good. The you know, mm-hmm. the I, I too love that like dark gothic Gotham Arkham Asylum kind of feel. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited. Andy Circus as uh, and alfred pennyworth with like neck muscles and belts. yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah they're like all these movies are converging like it's like the young hot aunt may and the young hot albert like they're like even the older kids are just going to be like 45 and fucking ripped it's 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 fun it's
1: the it's the CWization of the dc universe <laughs> finally <laughs> yeah. and at last uh next up the flash trailer uh, which is more of a teaser as mm-hmm. Ezra Miller tells us in the, in the lead up. I loved Ezra Miller's energy. To yeah. This. First of yeah. all, <laughs> uh, is Ezra Miller the my, a fine actor. Is he my first pick for Barry Allen? Maybe not, but I mm-hmm. love the energy. He came in with this where it's like, Hey, so we're so excited. We're filming right now. We wanted to show you a trailer, but we don't have any,
2: <laughs> we literally we're
1: filming right now. We have no footage and we wanted to make a teaser. But we barely have anything. So here's this. And uh, what we got was a a view of Ezra Miller as Barry Allen along with a couple of other flashes Mm -hmm. and the back of a Batman that is Michael Keaton from 1989 Batman. Mm -hmm. Uh, So clearly this is going to be a Flashpoint-esque story. Mm-hmm. I think the kind of like Barry Allen in the kitchen or parent, like walking up to touch yeah. a woman's shoulder, which mm-hmm. I guess that's his mom. So in Flashpoint, Barry Allen, uh, the the kind of story is kicked off by Barry Allen's uh, mission to rescue his mom. Uh, so maybe that's part of it. And mm-hmm. then, of course, he runs through dimensions. So we're going to see various versions of DC characters we know and love. <laughs> Uh, so listen. Flashpoint is like the big yeah flash story. Mm-hmm. Makes sense to do it. I'm excited to see it. Yeah, and I
2: feel like they've been working on this for a while. Like, I mean, this yeah. is like they've been working on like the Flashpoint movie before. I think even like you know. I think even after like Man of Steel or like Bat Members of Superman, they're like, all right, well, this is the universe we're going to make and we're going to expand stuff. So it's finally, it's nice seeing them finally start to do stuff in that world. Uh, I'm a, am a, am a sucker for speedsters, dude. Like I I love a I love speedsters. Speedster. So like anytime that they show some like fun, interesting speed stuff on screen, um, I I will say for 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 its faults, uh, the Snyder could have Justice League had some really fun speedster uh powers and like oh hell yeah, you 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 saw like what. Barry Allen contributed to the team as, as besides from just like you know running up a wall and anime falling into Wonder Woman's chest uh it's like I'm excited for that also I'm excited to see like you know we're going into these like ultimate these alternate universes like I'm curious to see like what who pops up and like what what sticks around like I know we got you know superwoman or power power yes. which, which one is she is she, is she power Woman? It's Supergirl Supergirl. Supergirl, yes yeah, so, super
1: I believe it's Supergirl.
2: yeah so it's uh, played I'm curious by to see like Sasha what they do Ka. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm excited for all that, and like, I just want to see some fun running. Like, uh, I love a good. On every, anytime there's a comic book where two versions of a character are, are in it, I'm, I'm sold. So like, I'm, 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 I'm. I want it to succeed. I'm. I got my fingers crossed. I, I like, I like Barry Allen, and I like that that uh, they're doing it. And I hope that they make they make it funny and personal. Like that's the main thing. Like I, I hope that they inject some joy into this.
1: I think they will. I mean, yeah. it, it. You know, uh, Ezra brings such a different, mm-hmm. like quirkier energy mm-hmm. to the character, which I yeah. think is in the context of, you know, the rest of the actors in the mm-hmm. JLA. I think that that is really cool. It stands out. I will say that it, what's interesting to me with both DC and Marvel going heavy into, like, multiverses, um, it'll be interesting to see, like, if there is a quote-unquote main continuity to DC. Like, yeah. you know, like, yeah. listen, I... I've read all the famous DC arcs, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Long Halloween, Batman Year 1, yeah, yeah. Dark Knight Returns, Watchmen, etc. But it seems to me again as not a DC expert, a hallmark of the kind of like feel and texture of of DC over the years is that there are s- there's so much continuity, there's a huge vibrant multiverse with multiple mm-hmm. versions of characters like in stories You know, uh, we mentioned Supergirl, but like, you know, Superboy, Mm -hmm. various versions of Superman, etc. In the comics, it's always like, okay, in, you know, all of our crossover events, Mm -hmm. crisis, crisis on infinite Earths, final crisis, are based around, okay, we got to manage this multiverse. What is canon? What is not? We're going to have to kill off some of this stuff. And now DC is in a place last couple of years where it's kind of like everything is like everything happened. Yeah, yeah. And we can pull it in and out as as needed mm-hmm. and it feels like DC is kind of in that place now where it's like Yeah. Oh, 1989 Michael Keaton Batman? Sure. Yeah. I can come back. Like all of this can come back. Do you think it's necessary to have like a quote unquote main canon storyline main yeah, timeline yeah
2: i know what you're saying like i i'm i'm a, i'm gonna say i'm i'm coming this from a biased point of view and that like i work yes. in comics and it's and i write you know comic tv shows so, like i i you're think in for six
1: one me- you're working in six one six main yeah. marvel continuity most yeah. of the
2: yeah yeah and i i like having just for me as from a from a writer and reading perspective i like having something to, to anchor myself in like i like the idea like all right What you see that like the the Marvel movies we've been seeing up into this take place in one specific universe and like we'll see things maybe happening outside of that every now and then. But we still have something like a home to come back to. And I think that I would enjoy that from DC. Like I do like that things are super open. Like I love that um, Ezra Miller's Flash showed up on the Flash TV show. Like that's just fucking cool. Like that's that's a cool bit of connective tissue. Um, I think it would be. It, I think it would do them some, some a service to be like, hey, yeah, this is like our main universe. Uh, Just so we have like a base point, a touching off point. So like when we deviate and go out to other places, we know what we're going back to. Otherwise, I feel like it could get out of hand pretty fast when you're like five years from now, 10 years from now, when you have a bunch of stuff going on. You have no idea what the context is. And also, I don't know if you care, like if oh this, yeah. if this place, if this is like a what if or else world is like, oh, okay, But, like, what does it really mean? Because there's no stakes emotionally, um, I think, if you have, like, a status quo to measure it against.
1: So uh, The Flash is coming out November 4th, 2022, directed by Andy Muschietti, written by Christina Hodson, who also wrote Birds of Prey. Ezra Miller is in it. Ben Affleck is in it. Mm -hmm. Michael Keaton, Sasha Kali, Ron Livingston, and more. Be interesting to see that. Up next, the trailer for the super weird... (laughs) Super funny and super like, I don't know who pitched this. It must have been James Gunn. Yeah. Because that's why they said yes. But I will watch this because Mm -hmm. it looks really funny. Eight episode series spinoff from the Suicide Squad called Peacemaker starring John Cena, wrestling superstar John Cena, who, by the way, is in too much shit. I don't know how he has. I don't know how much how he does all this stuff. Like he's yeah, in a he, lot of stuff.
2: There really is like there the two inside you. There are two wolves and that's the rock and John Cena. Like <laughs> they're really, <laughs> they're really out there doing it. You know, like if like anytime anyone, any, either one of them can't take a role, they're like, you know, we'll, we'll call him my We'll call him my alt. nil, and, and they'll come through.
1: You know, recent times he is in, uh, obviously the suicide squad movie. Mm-hmm. He is in uh Wipeout, which he hosts with Nicole Byer. Now yeah. to be fair, that seems like a gig where they knock it out in a weekend.
2: Yeah, right? Like they film
1: everything. <laughs> yeah, and then they bring the edited shows to Nicole and John Cena, mm-hmm. and then they are like in some green screen re- yeah. Like studio. Yeah, for they've, they've twelve some, hours. Yeah, rented they rented some. Like bang, cycle. Bang, bang. Yeah,
2: yeah, like they they rented some green screen in Burbank for for two days and like <laughs> knock it out, guys. Checks in the mail.
1: Okay, here we are at John Cena's IMDb. So The Independent
2: mm-hmm.
1: is in pre-production. The Jansen Directive by Paul Jansen is in pre-production. Argyle, currently filming. Snafu, mm. currently filming. Uh, Peacemaker is in uh, post-production. Uh, then there are, are his various appearances on the WWE events. So yeah, he still does wrestling stuff. Including SummerSlam, SmackDown, Money in the Bank. All that shit is still happening. Of course, there's Suicide Squad. He was in uh, F9 in 2021. The Wipeout TV series we mentioned. Uh, Doolittle, the voice of Yoshi. Again, that's you You knock that out in a yeah. day. Uh, voice of uh, Baron Draxum in the rise of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Again, it, by the way, that's been going for a year. You knock mm. that out in a day. Uh podcast series the 64th man in which he (laughs) plays the part of billy logan uh playing with this is all up to 2019 playing with fire he plays jake fighting with my family plays himself Agent Burns in the yeah, Bumblebee yeah. movie mm-hmm. and then uh, Dallas and Robo in which he is the voice of Robo. Yeah,
2: like the guy's busy and I, I think I think it's one of those things where if you, like he, if you look like that you fill a very specific role. Like, you know, it's, yes. it's hard to find a personable funny built dude that can like actually like act and emote and stuff and like, him and The Rock have cor- cornered that market. Like they John Cena, it. he's really—I mean, even I'd say Batista too. Like, like those three are like the like those guys can go from like it's even Dave Batista being Blade Runner, like an art house film, to going yes. to play Drax to go playing like a big military dude and whatever. I just saw the Netflix movie that he was in, and like he can—he has range, which is not something a lot of I think ex pro wrestlers have.
1: And he's the and he's the bad guy in the new season of C. On Apple yeah. TV yeah. Plus. Yeah. 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 I missed my chance to get like super ripped. I guess. Yeah. There's uh, still so time of course, king. is there? <laughs> <sighs> okay. So uh, January thirteenth, twenty twenty two, for Peacemaker, created and written and directed by James Gunn, on his th- full Matt Weiner energy right now. <laughs> Gunn said he started the series quote mostly for fun, but that he was uh, approached by DC Films about a possible spinoff. And this goes in line with HBO Max's other spinoff uh, DC properties, including Two for Batman, uh, Gotham PD one, plus Penguin in early development. So this looked really, again, looked funny. This Very looked fun, really yeah. funny. Mm-hmm. So excited to see this. Here's a thing that DC is doing really well right now. Deadpool-esque anti-heroes who are assholes. Yeah. But you are kind of rooting for them. Yeah. Despite the fact, like, uh, I love that we're going to check in with John Cena's Peacemaker and find <laughs> out, like, at least it seemed like this from the clips, like, explore him as an investigation on kind of like toxic white male masculinity in the yeah. DC universe where the people <laughs> yeah. around him, you know, uh, yeah. uh, John Economos, uh Leoto Adebayo, mm-hmm. th- this kind of like diverse. A group that he's running with are constantly yeah. going to be like reigning in Peacemaker who is yeah. like always in danger of flying off the rails. That kind of energy is very interesting to me and makes it uh, makes the uh, comedy fields very fertile.
2: Yeah, I'm very excited because I, I I read an interview where James Gunn talked about like why he decided to do Peacemaker besides just being a fun character. He was like you know, he's the only one in the Suicide Squad that didn't change. Like he's the only one that didn't yeah. have an arc. And like it's it's fun being able to see that play out for 8 episodes around a cast that is mostly com- comedians. Like I yes. I think they they're, they're they're nailing it. Like I the, the my one pet peeve that I have about most DC movies outside of a handfuls yeah. that they're not fun to watch, like they're not like there's no levity. To, like it doesn't feel like a yeah. comic book sometimes. Like and like those are nice moments. Like I like that they're leaning into uh, to this.
1: I mean, how soon until you are cast in like a in a some kind of comics property as on-camera talent.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm guy with microphone number three. Yeah. American Kaiju is stomping through San Diego. You're not going (laughs) to believe it.
1: (laughs) Okay, video games. Now this, uh, man.
2: Now we're talking.
1: Now we are talking, folks. Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League announced uh, from uh, Rocksteady, which is super exciting because they Mm -hmm. are the studio that uh, produced the Arkham Trilogy, which is among the most addictive video games I have ever played. I
2: kept those streets safe. I kept those streets safe.
1: So safe. You get to play as Harley Quinn, Deadshot, Captain Boomerang, and and King Shark. Now, everything we saw was cinematics. We didn't Mm -hmm. see any actual action. But I'm guessing because it is Rocksteady, with that lineage of Arkham games, the fighting mechanics are going to be similar. And if that Mm -hmm. is the case, I'll just tell you right now, I think the Arkham games, for me, revolutionized what fighting mechanics could be it's so mm -hmm. simple with a counter mechanic a strong attack mechanic a dodge and Mm -hmm. that's it and so you're basically playing a kind of like uh extended beat match
2: yeah kind of thing
1: for Mm -hmm. all of your fighting and it's it is so addictive like i would just be like i want to fight 12 guys right now and nothing felt More satisfying than taking on twelve guys, including bosses, with this mechanic. And if that is the thing they are basing Suicide Squad: Kill the Justice League on, I am going to play this game a lot.
2: Yeah, imagine doing like the Arkham City Batman fighting flow, but with Harley Quinn and her bat. It's going to be imagine like like just go. I remember, I remember. I mean, I want to get into it too deep, but I remember just playing in that game and doing like the horde mode or whatever, and just like getting like a hundred point combos. Like, give yeah. If I oh man, yeah, give me that bat. I am hurting some folks. I am hurting some folks' feelings out here.
1: When I would get into the flow and just be like, I'm 50 moves in. Yeah. <laughs> you are, n- no one can touch me right now. <laughs> it is like the closest I've ever come to like a true Zen Buddhism feeling yeah. of like nirvana. Where, yeah. Where the, you know, I am so present in the moment that it's like a higher level of consciousness. Uh. Uh, that is why I played that game. Yeah. Those games and that is why they're so addictive. I will say, so I have on my Game Pass, I have like all the Arkham games. Mm-hmm. And there needs to be a I'm an adult and I played these games when they came out setting yeah. where I can just like unlock all Everything. the moves and the and especially the fighting arenas. Cause like, listen, I'm not gonna go through the entire Arkham game again, but I mm-hmm. do wanna go into like the battle arena and fight like the 50 clowns with sledgehammers. Yeah. And I want all my moves. I want all my Batarangs for that. So please just unlock that for me. If yeah, there's wanna, anybody in Rock City I, I get that. Shoot a
2: dude in the chest with my little grappling hook and pull him towards yes. me, flip armors back, and hit him with a piece of 2 by 4
1: uh, Next, uh, Gotham Knights from W Games uh, Montreal, who made Arkham Origins and some of the DLC for Arkham Knights. So again, mm-hmm. great that we have that Arkham Knights lineage. Get to play as Nightwing for the first time since Arkham Asylum. I can't Mm -hmm. wait. Batgirl and Red Hood, and uh, they are squaring off against the uh, super criminal compendium known as the Court of Owls. Uh, Again, if it is the Arkham fighting flow mechanic,
0: Mm -hmm. great.
1: Good. Nightwing with the little Eskrima sticks, one of my favorite uh, unlockable characters to play in the Arkham games. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I can't wait. I'm excited.
2: Yeah. yeah, I'm so stoked for this game. And they're both coming from people that made my, some of my favorite series of games. Like I, I will say DC has a chokehold on like the great game adaptation, the great animation adaptation. So I'm 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 gonna be losing a lot of hours for these games when they drop.
1: All right, Zig. Well, as you know, there is so much incredible content that came out of the DC fandom that we thought the only way that we can possibly cover it all is if we tap into the speed force like Barry (laughs) Allen and race through these titles. Are you ready, Zig? I am ready. Chris, come in, put some time on the clock, and throw these titles at us, and we will react to them. It's so exciting, Chris. Can't wait to hear your voice talking about all these things that came out of the DC fandom.
3: Alright, uh first up, Blue Beetle. Go. Uh,
1: the costume looked great. Latina representation, mm-hmm. let's go. Yeah. Uh very excited for the costume.
2: Young heroes. Uh, I like that it could maybe lead to young justice. Like yes. I'm 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 all I'm all for legacy characters. I'm I'm one hundred percent in.
3: Nice. All right. Next up, we got Harley Quinn, season three.
2: Best animated show in the game. It, I I I
1: Best, no-, n- no bullshit.
2: Yeah, yeah. Six seasons in a movie. I could watch that show indefinitely. It's fun. It's weird. It's art, it's, it's a hard R, and everyone is funny as fuck in the series. Give it to me.
1: An unbelievable voice cast. You will laugh your ass off if you're not watching it. It is so legitimately hilarious. Uh, Commissioner Gordon as a cracked out, (laughs) like (laughs) barely able to do his job. Uh, Police commissioner drinking 12 cups of coffee a day, plus a five hour energy. Like, give it to me all day. It is so funny.
3: Can't wait. Boom. All right. Neil Gaiman Sandman.
2: I love the depiction of death in this series. Uh, I I love that. That the the homie Kirby Kirby Hal Baptiste is, is death in it, so like I'll watch it for that. Uh, I I am I am I I I'm curious to see what they do with with this version of the Sandman because I didn't get that far in the comics, but it is a weird weird swing for for DC. So like I uh, I'm I'm here for it.
1: Yeah, again, uh, this is one of the kind of one of DC's quote unquote like premium mm-hmm. titles, premium storylines. It is one of those comics that. Comic fans would say to their non-comic friends, yep. "Hey,
3: mm-hmm. I think
1: you'd li- actually like. I think you'd like Sandman. Yep. So it makes total sense that, that, that this mm-hmm. would be hitting, and I'm excited for it."
3: All right, PC's League of Super Pets. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: you know, I love I love seeing a, a, a black man get a paycheck. Shout out to The Rock. Yes. Um, uh, <laughs> that's all I got for it. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
1: I mean, listen, uh, Kevin Hart shooting in a sandbox. I, you know, the rock, uh, lifting his leg on a lamppost. I'm just, uh, I think that Marvel is literally quaking in their boots that this is happening before Marvel's pet Avengers. Listen, Make it as weird as you can possibly make it
3: and I will watch it. All right. And then last up Grant Gustin's gold boots on the flash.
1: I mean, finally, you, Gr- listen. Grant has been asking for it. He's been, as we mm-hmm. saw in the DC video, he's been, he's been like, "Can I get the gold boots?" And they were like, "No, it's season one. It's too early for the gold boots." Yeah. Season two, Greg Gustin, pre-production. Hey, can I get the gold mm-hmm. boots? This no, can't do it. it. It's only haven't earned it yet. Yeah. Season three. Okay, can I get the gold boots yet? No. <laughs> but now they're coming, and we've got the gold boots now.
2: You can run extra fast.
1: Uh, man, uh, this was so fun, Zig. Up next, let's crack open the Omnibus. Welcome to another chapter in the Omnibus where lore, analysis, and understanding come together. This week, uh, let's further explore the success of Netflix's Squid Game and how it is of a piece with recent trends in narrative storytelling. Netflix Squid Game has managed to hack its way through the jungle of streaming content into the global conversation over the last two weeks. So in light of our recent conversations uh, about the influence of American pop culture in Asian martial arts cinema from our Shang-Chi episode, the globalization of anime, abetted by technology largely pioneered in Japan, which made content portable uh, during our Star Wars Visions conversation, we think it's worth exploring the surprising trans-global appeal of the hit South Korean show created by writer-director Huang Dong-hyuk. Squid Game is, first and foremost, a gripping and particularly blood-drenched critique of the capitalist system. It is notable, too, that this is something Squid Game shares with Other products of South Korean entertainment, including 2019's Parasite and 2013's Snowpiercer, both by director Bong Joon-ho and both crossover international hits. Parasite, of course, won a load of awards, including the 2020 Academy Award for Best Picture. And Snowpiercer uh, continues to have legs and has been adapted into a television show of the same name. Uh, We should add also uh, Bong's 2017 Animal Rights Meets Capitalism picture Okja to this conversation as well. Uh, Quote, I wanted to write a story that was an allegory or fable about modern capitalist society, something that depicts an extreme competition and somewhat like the extreme competition of life. But I wanted to use the kind of characters we've all met in real life, Huang told Variety. As a survival game, he continues, it is entertainment and human drama. The games portrayed are extremely simple and easy to understand. That allows viewers to focus on the characters rather than being distracted by trying to interpret the rules. In this way, Squid Game is part of a trend of narratives which centers self-interest and has since the late 1990s become increasingly present in popular culture across all genres and all mediums, TV, books, video games, movies, etc cetera. Dr. Jane Elliott of King's College in London calls this style the microeconomic mode. She says in her book The Microeconomic Mode, Political Subjectivity and Contemporary Popular Aesthetics, quote, In this mode, abstraction results from a focus on delimited or capsule worlds in which option and decision, action, and effect have been extracted from everyday context and thus made unusually legible. For example, the life raft, the desert island, the medical experiment, the prison cell. So... All that is a a way of describing the hallmarks of this style of storytelling, and those include an isolated arena or a battle space, including, as she mentioned, life rafts, desert islands, medical experiments, anything that is separated from the real world and acts as a miniature version of that world. In that battle space or arena, our characters will face impossible choices. They will often be forced to carry out acts of extreme violence or torture or mutilation, often self-mutilation. And the themes explored include power, the organization of power, and quite notably, spaces of humiliation and disgust. So examples of this include Cormac McCarthy's post-apocalyptic novel, The Road, the reality show's Survivor and Big Brother, the horror franchise Saw, the YA book and film franchise The Hunger Games, the smash hit video games, Fortnite, Call of Duty, Warzone, and Apex Legends, and the 2000 Japanese film Battle Royale based on the book and manga of the same name. In his book, 1989, cultural critic Joshua Clover writes, quote, every genre enters the popular imagination as a novelty song that is later seen to be a manifesto. For me, that's Battle Royale. Battle Royale is the novelty song that then became a manifesto that then became a genre. And it's that movie that I most associate with the microeconomic style. So therefore, I'm going to call these stories, these shows, these games, uh, battle royales. Because these narratives deal with the question of self-interest, often in the most existential sense, right? The, The person has an interest in surviving. An extreme emotional response, an extreme emotional register Uh, is what we associate with these kind of stories. Characters within these stories, as we saw in Squid Game, are presented with the most difficult possible choices. What would you do to survive? What would you give up? Which friend or loved one, if you had to choose, would you allow to perish so that another one of your loved ones who you prefer more can continue to survive? Characters are even often asked, like, which piece of themselves would they give up in order for them to continue surviving? Mutilation, self-mutilation, as we mentioned, is often part of these stories, and they are found in stories like Saw, where Carrie Elwes' character is is asked to cut off his own foot in order to move forward in the game. The Walking Dead features uh, characters who have their limbs hacked off, A Song of Ice and Fire, Game of Thrones, even Castaway where Tom Hanks' character uh, is forced to pull out his own tooth, uh, are a few examples of this. Reality television shows in the battle royale mode, of course, can't kill or mutilate their contestants, but these programs explicitly link elimination with death nonetheless, and many contestants face real-life threats to their health in the game. Fans of Survivor will remember numerous times that contestants have been medically evacuated uh, from the island. In this game, fire represents your life. When your fire's gone, so are you, says host Jeff Probst at every tribal council for the past 20 years. These programs often explore themes of extreme endurance. You can't help but think of torture elements when uh, some of these competitions take place. Uh, And they, of course, also include events that are meant to evoke feelings of disgust and feelings of humiliation. Who could forget Joe Rogan in his incarnation as the host of Fear Factor, feeding his contestants a smoothie of blended rats? That really happened. That happened on a television show. Gross food challenges are a staple of the Battle Royale reality show, uh, from the problematic culturally-themed challenges of past Survivor seasons to Big Brother's various... uh, slop competitions, which is like a flavorless gruel that is, I guess, kind of similar to oatmeal. So basically everything that contestants eat on the Wilderness Survival uh, show alone. Strategy is an important part of battle royale narratives. Though only one person can survive in these games, moving forward is still impossible without allies and without friends. In Squid Game, uh, seong Ji-hun's heroism comes from his generosity and protectiveness toward the elderly O-Il-Nam. Within the dehumanizing framework of the game, there is no logical reason for Ji-Hun to team up with O-Il-Nam, but he responds to O-Il-Nam's humanity. And potentially at the cost of his own life, he rejects the values imposed by the game and extends his hand to O-Il-Nam and adds him to his team. This rejection is, by extension, a rejection of the capitalist society in which this game takes place. And that rejection culminates with Ji-hun choosing to save his rival Cho's life while winning the money. Now, I would argue that Squid Game, the necessities of telling a dramatic story aside, pulls a bit of a fast one here. Being a good person, I think one could argue is absolutely a, quote, game move, if I'm quoting Survivor here, which the show acknowledges when Seong Ji-hun's decision to accept O leads to their team winning the tug-of-war event. But within the context of the show, it's made to seem purely altruistic because that's what we as an audience respond to in our popular storytelling. We want people who are generous. We want characters who are generous. And we want to feel like that generosity comes from a place of not wanting anything back, not thinking about keeping score. Furthermore, in real life, I think it's possible to incentivize generosity. In the same way that like jealousy and greed are incentivized. Think about how many brands now use social justice and diversity as buzzwords to sell a product, to gamify, in other words, the emotions of kindness, love, acceptance, and empathy. Now, some would say, that's really cynical. You're just like selling products. I agree. Uh, It'd be great if generosity and kindness and diversity and acceptance are more than just buzzwords and go more than skin deep and actually turn into kind of like actual change. That said, in a capitalist society in which value is attached to things purely from a monetary and financial framework, adding a monetary and financial value to things like sustainability acceptance and empathy mean that those things actually have value in the framework and therefore are things that have value. I would hope that they have more value than they currently have, but the fact that we talk about them in an economic framework is positive considering the extremely fucked up world that we live in. So, okay. If squid game is part of a larger trend, which I would argue, does that mean anything? Does it matter that these kind of stories are popular now? Um, I would say yes. I think, listen, I'm biased, right? I mean, I host a a podcast that talks about uh, popular things in pop culture, but I think popular things matter. In an era of disagreement, popular things represent things that we actually agree about. They're a reflection of generally held beliefs and fears. The battle royale is about people under the power of a highly organized entity making impossible choices according to that entity's rules. Now, the genre invites us to think about power structures. Squid Game in particular asks us to think about the global capitalist system, which it compares to a murderous, dehumanizing theme park, a kind of game show. That Squid Game is a hit, I would argue, is a reflection of broadly held anxiety about the way the capitalist system is working. And I think, listen, year two of a pandemic in which half the country is on fire and uh, climate change amplified floods are inundating the land, I think a reasonable emotion to be experiencing is anxiety. The interactivity of Battle Royale video games sets them apart a little bit and makes them more of a training manual than a political manifesto. Both Call of Duty Wars and Fortnite task players with competing for scarce resources inside a steadily shrinking circle of livable space until only one player or team of player remains. That team of players has to cooperate by communicating with each other, by sharing ammo, by sharing health packs, etc., That two of the most popular games in the world at this moment are metaphors for climate change I think is notable and is the way we process that anxiety. It makes us feel like, okay, well, we're not actually doing anything about climate change, but here I am in some form or fashion in an entertaining way preparing for it. A feature of the Battle Royale that I find disconcerting is a lack of sufficiently revolutionary solution to the problem of the existence of the game itself. For instance, in the final competition of Squid Game, Ji-hun cleverly exploits a loophole in the rules to save his rival Sang-woo's life and win the game and win the money. His real reward, though, of course, isn't the riches. It's that he is allowed to understand the true nature of the game, its origins and the shocking truth of what is behind it. And at the end of the show... Ji-hun's satisfaction at finally being able to provide for his family and get out of debt is poisoned by the realization that the game continues, the slaughter continues, and the masked money men who fund that murderous game of poor people remain free at the end of the Hunger Games. Katniss votes for another reaping, and there are some extenuating circumstances in that, but she votes for it nonetheless. Jigsaw in Saw, continues to murder over two sequels until he dies, and his philosophy is so magnetic that another person jumps into his shoes and continues the murder at the end of Battle Royale. Shuya and Noriko are free of the island, but instead of trying to rally an opposition to this entertainment based on the murder of teenagers, they would rather flee. They would rather run away from a society that uses their lives as entertainment. It's notable to me, even in our most popular and creative critiques of power structures, we can't seem to imagine a way to fix them. Up next, The Hive Mind.
0: You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Welcome to the Hive
1: Mind, where we dive deeper into specific topics with the help of a guest panelist or interviewee. Joining today, X Ray Vision welcomes writer and co host of Polygon's Galaxy Brains podcast. One of the nicest guys, most talented guys, the most well dressed individuals. He makes every group chat better. He's Dave Schilling. Dave, how are you?
3: Welcome. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> I'm so good. Thanks for having me. This is a real pleasure.
1: Um, so listen, Succession is back. I love it. It's my favorite show on TV right now. Uh, what a banger. The episode was called Secession.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and uh, quick recap. It picks up right on the heels of Kendall's bombshell announcement at the end of season two, which saw him throwing... Logan Roy, his dad, finally under the bus for the various criminal goings-on at the company, Uh, in particular the horrific events that took place at the cruise division, and we see Kendall basically on the run, moving from place to place, eventually ending up at his ex-wife Rava's, where he uh, puts together a war room to begin his campaign against his dad. folks. What do we think, David? What oh, my God.
3: I mean, I, first I want to start by giving my condolences to Rava. This is a tough episode <laughs> for Kindle's ex-wife. She uh, is kind, just a really a kind giving, yeah. empathetic person, clearly. And she lets Kindle into her home at the worst time in his life. I mean, other than, like, when he hits rock bottom or something or when he killed that guy. (laughs) Other than those times. (laughs) Who says 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 I never
1: killed anyone?
3: I love that. I love that moment because he didn't. (laughs) Jeremy Strong is so good at the facade. Like, you know he's saying this because he wants to be caught. Like, any sort of sociopath, they want to be caught. And he says these things, and he's playing it as a joke, and he never once gives you that, like, but also, this is a dramatic scene, too. It's just he plays it as a joke and we move on. But, but anyway, Rava brings Kendall in and he just abuses her from start to finish to the point where he brings his new girlfriend in and she opens the most precious bottle of wine in her entire apartment. And I started screaming at the TV. That's the worst thing you can do is open somebody's wine without asking. Never ever do that. This is the biggest social faux pas in the entire world and this is a show about social faux pas and how not to make them and, and the the consequences of making them. And this is just it was painful. I don't know how you guys felt about the wine situation but that bummed me out. Zig? Uh you know I
2: I I am newly into the wine game so I have no I have no stakes <laughs> in it but I understand the idea of of opening the fridge without asking or taking the the last piece of meat before like my caveman brain can relate to that. Uh I uh, I I I as as uh Dave was saying like he's so good at playing weak as strong um yes. like yes, he, is, he, he 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 very much yeah. is as a, a child uh and like seeing the insecurity and like how it just sucks him down and, and sucks everyone around him down to the same well is it's hard to watch in a in a good way like when he's having the exchange with the two um PR crisis ladies oh and like he just...
1: including the Red Square's uh Dasha and Nik-
2: Yeah, like it was hard to watch, but uh, this is in in a good way. Like this is the one show that can really capture that very specific type of, uh, I guess, for lack of a better word, cringe. Like you really do dislike every single person in this in this series, but you have to keep coming back.
3: Yeah, I can't help but go back to Peep Show, which is Jesse Armstrong's classic British sitcom, which was all cringe all the time. Characters Mm. who can't get out of their own way and that really carries through to succession and now that we're in season 3 you know really starting to see um that uh kind of multiplied because now we know the characters so well and the mm-hmm. longer you watched peep show the more you could start to anticipate this is how mark is going to screw up this is how jazz is going to screw up and now i feel like we can do that with kindle or with shiv like the the moment that you brought up uh, cody about uh, Kendall bringing in the PR people. Mm-hmm. I knew immediately like, Oh, he's going to try to strong arm <laughs> them. And he's got all these crazy ideas. Cause we've yeah. seen him do it a million times. And that makes it funnier. I think this is the funniest episode since maybe Prague.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, there is Ken is so thirsty for acceptance from people that he thinks are quote unquote cool. So, you know, when he has the PR people there and he's just like, you know, uh, just like dumb level, I want my Twitter to be off the hook. Yeah. Uh, I'm, t- I'm in talks with some Bojack guys, you know, like the great, yeah. uh, And I love when uh, one of the one of the ladies says, "So, okay, cool tweets." It's like, yeah, that's like a real straight leg chino way of saying, it, I guess. <laughs> like he's so like Mr. Mr. Lingo, and I th- for me the um the decision to make him a Twitter person, it's so honed as a character trait because, like, he's not cool and hip enough for TikTok, certainly not young enough. And he's not cool enough, really, for Instagram. Like, he doesn't (laughs) have... He's all artifice, but he's not comfortable enough to be the kind of, like, Instagram person. So it's all, like... Twitter my ideas. Also, generationally, it makes sense that he'd be like mm-hmm. a, a big-time Twitter guy who'd be very interested in his Twitter being off the hook in a kind of, like, <laughs> Elon Musk way. <laughs> he just needs that acceptance from everybody. The way he walks into Rava's apartment, like, he just, like, held the Alamo against, like, the invading hordes, and now he is there, like, like looking for some kind of, like, victory parade. <laughs> and he literally says to her... So is it cool if, uh, you know, we're just here for like four or five hours? I wouldn't ask if I had literally any other option.
3: (laughs) Oh, no, no. A hotel. (laughs) uh, Any hotel, really? You're rich, are you? Yeah. What is he's um, doing this because she is in many ways his security blanket. Yeah, he needs that. And I can relate to this as a divorced man. If I'm going through something, the first person I'll call is my ex-wife. And there is this moment in the, the initial scene when he's explaining the situation to Rava where he says, he asked her point blank, do you think I can win? And she and says, she's like, nah. I, I don't know. And then he's like, no, okay. <laughs> and he yeah. turns around and leaves because he needs her approval. Just like I need the approval of my ex-wife sometimes, not all the time, but when there's something going on. You know, maybe something great happens in my career or something bad happens. I'll be like, do you think I did a good job? Am I am I good? Am I okay? Am I a sweet boy? And she'll be like, no. And I was like, oh, that's <laughs> why we got divorced. Okay, goodbye. Um, so good. And you're right. He is a Twitter guy because Instagram requires vulnerability. Yeah. Right? You have to mm-hmm. sometimes post the no makeup selfie, so to speak. I've heard this said many times by people who are better at social media than me. But you have to spend some time Um, showing your scars and Mm -hmm. if you are on twitter you can just always be the funniest person in the room yeah Uh, you can always be the toughest the meanest you never have to show any vulnerability and that's why trump succeeded so well there and not on instagram or anywhere else is because he could just say that guy's a dumbass and (laughs) then log off uh so it's perfect for kindle yeah and
2: also that makes me think that it also is like that his biggest weakness is that he cannot be vulnerable he cannot admit uh, he cannot admit like when he's wrong, and he cannot admit that he's been outplayed honestly for the past 21 episodes. Like, yeah, he, he's a dumb guy. He's a dumb rich kid that got the position he did because of his dad, and like that's the thesis for the show. And like that's ultimately like what his conflict is: is having to come to realization that he's not as good as he thinks he is.
3: There is there are some good instincts that he has, and I think that he shows his good instincts in that final episode of season two when he says, "I'm never going to convince my father to love right. me." Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to destroy him. And that is exactly what Logan ultimately wants from his children. He does not want to anoint a successor. What he wants to do is have one of them kill him. Mm -hmm. Maybe not literally, but certainly figuratively. Mm -hmm. He's waiting for one of them to rise up and grab a sword and cut his head off.
1: Let me ask you this. So a conversation I've had with uh, people that I often have with people who maybe are not super into the show is they'll say, well, you know, I gave it a try and the characters are just so unlikable. And then I'll be like, okay, well, what shows do you like? And they'll be like, you know, like The Sopranos. I'm like, okay, well, everybody (laughs) on that that show is a mass murderer. So I don't think you're saying unlikable or bad person. I think you're saying something else. What do you think it is about the depiction of this kind of wealth that maybe turns some people off and then ancillary to that, part of that question is, I'm fascinated by the way, succession manages to make wealth not aspirational it makes it seem terrible in a lot of ways how does it manage to do that in in your estimation
3: well i mean i think part of it is that there are shows where people express very broad emotions where they are like this is how i feel and this is all that i feel like the, the sopranos is a great television show with a lot of beautiful writing and a lot of great acting. And it's also a show where people project how they feel and there isn't a lot of subtlety. Yeah. I, I, I'm sorry. Like if you're a Soprano super fan, and you think there's subtlety to that show. I, I disagree because everybody's playing the hand that they were dealt. Tony Soprano is just that guy. He is a meathead who is going through an existential crisis. And that's great. I love that show. But Succession is a comedy about people who believe themselves to be something they are not. And so they're always playing the artifice. Roman is always pretending to be cool, even though he is a sad guy who jacks off on a window (laughs) of a skyscraper (laughs) and needs to be abused and insulted by a powerful woman. Yeah. Um Kindle thinks he's a suave uh captain of industry, but he's really a scared little boy. Uh and down the line, you know, they're all showing their true colors in very brief moments. And so it's hard to I think connect to people who are inscrutable, especially if you are mm-hmm. uh, some mm-hmm. someone who cannot um identify with the problems that these people have. I can identify with Kindle. I can identify with Roman. I can identify with Shiv if I really have to. I could even identify with Greg and Greg's uncomfortable uh, sort of <laughs> attitude <laughs> around anybody with power. Like that scene where he's trying to explain his d- canceling his mother's credit card. Uh, oh, yeah, I've was- been there. I'm stuck <laughs> in a room with someone yeah. who doesn't want to talk to me and I'm just going to start to word vomit because I need to fill yeah. space. If you don't have that self-awareness to say, ah, I'm kind of like these people, then you're not going to connect to the show. Exactly
2: yeah i i it, it i think it's twofold because i i came into the show very late like i came in when season two had already finished i my the thing that was sort of bumping me is that like one it came out right when trump was pretty much at his height and i was like i don't want to watch a yeah. show about rich shitty white people like i see that yeah. every single day like i don't need more yeah. of that willingly and i, mean, I do not just take it take that in willingly um but it, it, for me like alienation is was what makes it work for me like I'm never going to be a billionaire. Like I've never seen that yeah. level of wealth. Like I've never been around that type of white person, like that type <laughs> of like a white industry, you know, yeah. like I'm from the South. Like I came from like, you know, farmers and like all that type of stuff. Like, it's hard for me to relate, but like part of that makes the viewing experience so much more, you know, it's like reading a, a Greek myth or something like these are like the gods doing, doing their thing or whatever. But like seeing those human moments, like, I, like Dave was saying, like I can relate to like seeing a scared little boy pretend that he's a big tough man because his, you know, he has ultimately daddy issues. Like I've seen people in fight in family. Like I have cousins that don't get along with each other. Like I've seen that stuff. So like that has been made it interesting. But also, Jason, your point about it being, you know, really a a, a takedown of how like being rich really does kind of fucking suck. And like even when you have access to everything, like it really does highlight how how the most important thing, in my opinion, is family and how really, if everything has been driving that, has been going to war, as as, uh, Logan likes to say. You're like all about, you know, dominating everyone else. It really does come back to home. Uh, So really my my emotional endpoint has been Cousin Greg because he really is (laughs) the one that's like, yeah, he's some fucking bumpkin that sort of just got sucked into being a super powerful family. And now he's just trying to figure out and and stake his claim and, and, and stay in there.
3: Yeah. It's a show that's to me about the apocalypse or about dystopia. Even though it takes place in an approximation of our real world, it is a show about the decay of a society and how the people above that society make decisions that are capricious or bizarre or hard to understand, but they affect billions of people. Mm-hmm. And just like the, the opening credits and some of the shots, some of the shots in this last episode of just the distance that the characters have from the camera or the way that the, uh, the sets sort of consume the characters. It's this world that they have created that we don't get to see that um, is destroying the rest of the world. Like it's pushing everything else out. And it's, it's very bleak uh, to watch sometimes when you realize what's at stake And you realize what it means that this is this is happening every day. Uh, These people are villains. Mm -hmm. Uh, No question about it. And yet you can see yourself in those villains and you can say, I'm playing a part in the destruction of society, too. Oops.
1: (laughs) I think the thing that I think about the most when watching the show or thinking about wealth and billionaires in general is like it's. Impossible to really compute what that level of wealth does to your brain chemistry. Like, I Mm. actually can't imagine it. Having been around or seen, like, really famous people, Mm -hmm. right? I think everybody here is at a level of notoriety where people recognize your name, right? That's a level. Mm. But then when you see people like who their DMs are blowing up all the time, their texts Mm -hmm. are blowing, everybody— there is nobody in that person's sphere who will be like, you fucked up, that was wrong, or anything. Mm -hmm. They will only tell you the great shit. That uh, messes with your brain chemistry, and I think in a similar way, Like that's what happens here. You just look at how hard it is for Logan at any point in time to get a straight read on what anybody thinks. He's like begging everybody all the time, okay, so who do you like for CEO? And at the same time, everybody is quite aware of Logan is asking for a thing but he doesn't really want to know. Yeah. Yep. It's it's actually very dangerous for me if I tell mm. him the truth. Yeah. So you're just like in this cocoon where you have no idea what way up is, what moral compass is pointing where, what the price of fucking milk is, what it costs to rent an average apartment, like you mm. don't know all these things. And yeah. I don't know how I would react if somebody dumped 800 million dollars like on my <laughs>
3: yeah. lap. you stop trusting people this is the first thing you yeah. do uh, and that's what that's what we see in this you know he's, he sees Frank and he's like I don't trust him he yeah, has to be on the plane potatoes. With, I, I don't trust him and yet he needs to be on the plane with me so I can keep an yeah. eye on him <laughs> this is maniacal this is madness uh, but that is how these people interact with each other and I think that's another thing you're pointing out that keeps people from connecting to the show sometimes mm-hmm. is Again, like I said, the duality of everybody's behavior, but also, you know, the, the, the various different motivations and things. It can seem confusing. It can seem like, where are we? Where are we? Where is the North Star, as you pointed out? Nobody really knows. Um, so it becomes complicated to follow the story. Not because the story is complicated, but because mm-hmm. the characters themselves and their motivations are complicated. Where is Shiv? On this board, we don't really know (laughs) as of yet. And so it's just like, what are the lines? Like the poster for the season is a line and the characters staring at each other. But on one side is is Tom, and we know Tom is with Logan right now. So what is going on? We don't know. And that's how the show creates drama, but it also uh alienate some people who need a more clear delineation between good and evil. Yeah, I mean
2: you that's you see their you see them change allegiances in real time and you see them yeah overthink things in real time. Like the conversation between Romulus and and Logan about who should take the position and you see he just says but and like Logan yeah. catches on to that and like it's all downhill from there. I was like, yes. yeah, like it, it is a hard show to follow if you're expecting a straight point A to point B to point C, as opposed to the characters going from, you know, I'm going to hop over to M actually, let me, let me backtrack to D and then we'll fast forward to S over here.
1: Any favorite lines from this episode? And then let's ask for some, let's get some predictions. Any favorite lines, David?
3: Oh boy. I, I mean, I, I, I think everybody loved the line where, um, Logan says to Roman, You gonna suck my dick? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> and, then, and then Roman's like, Great thing to say to your son yeah. during a <laughs> sexual assault investigation. And then he closes the helicopter. Like, I loved that one. Yeah. Um, it was a great Kindle episode in general. Oh, unbelievable. Uh, I loved episode. Greg's stuff about the neutral Bullet and his, <laughs> yeah. his mother buying neutral Bullets. It's like, <laughs> she just makes these terrible smoothies. Yeah. It, it, a really funny, funny episode. But I yeah. think the that first line was the funniest.
2: Yeah, that one's great and that uh, my 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 top 3 are that one uh uh Greg being like the pope followed you. Wait, I don't know if this is the actual real pope. <laughs> I want this the real one. <laughs> and uh Kindle when he's like this could all get super earnest. I was thinking about hitting up some BoJack guys. <laughs> was...
3: Yeah, because you because you know all those dudes that are
2: like
1: yeah. hiring right. people Listen, we I,
3: know to write yeah. their
1: tweets. It's, yeah, I need Johnny Son. Imagine I can I can actually like imagine right now being in a group chat where you fellas are involved, where somebody is like. Hey, so y'all are gonna laugh.
0: <laughs> guess, guess what wrote I that just tweet. guess yeah.
1: what I just booked.
3: <laughs>
1: ah, yeah. uh, gosh! I think that for me, I loved uh, Logan when Frank is like, "Oh, what about cooperation?" and
3: Logan says,
0: "It's war. <laughs> Fuck off."
1: <laughs> war.
3: Yeah, he was especially <laughs> angry this entire episode,
1: and then he says like quieter. Yeah, like it. That to me was like they know they know what the memes are now yeah. like, they get it. uh it was a great moment and then i think uh, this was a, a for me a real spotlight episode for uh kendall's tireless assistant jess mm-hmm, uh, played mm-hmm. by juliana canfield who there is i i'm a big fan of reaction shots i love reactions yeah. You know, John Early to me is the king of reactions, but, uh, but Juliana gets there with this one. So they're riding in the, uh, juices loose SUV, uh, <laughs> to Rava's, and, uh, Ken gets on the horn with Naomi and Naomi's like, uh, are you the greatest man ever? No, but seriously, like, are you the greatest? And he's like, no, stop it, stop it. But am I? And then if you watch Jess's face in the background, she's just, like, looking around like, oh, my, I can't believe that this is a conversation that I'm (laughs) listening to. (laughs) And then she, like, tries to signal him, like, hey, uh, we're almost there, so maybe, like, wrap this super weird conversation up. Uh, I love that. I love reaction shots. So Mm -hmm. funny. Okay, predictions. David. Uh, what do you think is going to happen uh, in anywhere in the
3: season? Oh, boy. Well, I mean, I feel like they've been teasing Tom taking over uh, Waystar Royko for so long that there is going to be a point where he does <laughs> rise to the throne. Uh, it just seems inevitable that the worst person for the job will be the person who survives and gets it. Uh, and it feels like, again, a peep show-esque sort of plot Um plot line is let's do the thing that would embarrass all of the characters the most. And it would be Tom (laughs) being in charge because Tom is such a spineless weasel and it would upset Shiv so much. (laughs) But it's Uh, a perfect, perfect comedy plot, perfect dramatic plot uh, because then you've got, instead of the puppet master manipulating everyone and everybody looking uh, to that person for direction, you've got a person now who is completely manipulatable. You can take advantage of this person and you can see that power vacuum in a lot of corporate situations where they install someone specifically so they can be taken advantage of. So that whoever the cleverest person is can use that human being as a sock puppet. And so I think that that would be a great season for storyline as you put uh, this buffoon on, on, on the throne and see what happens i love it
2: mm. Zig? uh i i am holding out for my i uh, my boy cousin greg uh i think the <laughs> shoe's gonna drop on him uh i think he in true greg fashion he's gonna somehow Find himself in a position where he is not only going to fuck over the entire family unwillingly, uh, but then also he's going to backpedal and try to save own himself in the only way that that, you know, cousin Greg can. So I'm waiting for him to assume his the throne, which for him is probably just another low level junior executive level. But uh, <laughs> I really want to see him in court and I want to see him pointing fingers and and having to be put on the stand.
3: Yeah. One other thing I want to point out is, you know, Sandy buying the company is still in play. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's you know, right. there is and that's right, Sandy
1: and Stewie's still out there.
3: Exactly. So there is a possibility, uh, that would be my number two prediction, is that that does happen and that the, the business gets purchased and that they're all out of work.
1: Uh, my prediction is that, and they teased it in this episode, we're going to get the election. They're going to hinge a lot of their hopes on President Raisin uh, <laughs> saves our <laughs> bacon and calls off the dogs but then they lose the election and they're fucked. So I think that that is-
3: President Bogosian. let's do that.
1: (laughs) Oh my God, we got to get Gil back in the mix. Uh, But I think we see that. I think that that is one of the things I'm going to call. And then finally, I think that if Logan wanted to end this fast, knowing that uh, it's Ken and Naomi is like the brain trust and like the emotional support- I would just send every Coke dealer in New York <laughs> to every place they are all the time. I would drop baggies of white drugs on their walk to the bodega, like wherever it is, because I think they are very, I think it, it, it would not be that hard to cause them to self-destruct. Just send drug dealers to their apartment.
2: It's your John Wick 2 moment, only it's only for Dope Boys pushing Coke to a little baggie. (laughs) baggie I
3: I still love that line in season two uh, where Greg buys him the cocaine. He's like, you bought part Coke? (laughs) Like, he was so horrified. (laughs) Yeah, people do it all the time. I could see Weiger writing
1: Ken's Twitter.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I think a Nick Nick Weiger of Dope Boys writing Kendall Roy's Twitter would be very funny. I'm sorry that that nick was not hired for for that role (laughs) in this season
1: all right fine finally dave uh plug everything you're doing
3: oh boy okay well first of all galaxy brains uh this podcast that i do with my man jonah ray uh jason's been on before and hopefully we'll be on again soon yes we talk about movies tv and uh, other stuff you know in a very smart way kind of like this show but with a whole lot more dick jokes And then uh, I also have a column for the LA Times. I write about fashion, and style, what it all means, really. What does it mean down deep inside in your heart? What does clothes mean? And so I've been doing that for a while. I I tried on a skirt for the first time, and that was my last piece. So check that one out and find out why men should wear skirts whenever they want.
1: David, thank you so much. Thank
3: Thank you, guys.
1: All right, that's it for the Hive Mind. Up next, Endgame. Cody, fuck off. (laughs) Today we're doing top fives, and I would like you all to fuck off. Number one, fuck off. Number two, fuck off. We're going to rank our favorite fictional billionaires now. Cody, in honor of Succession Season 3 and the return of the incredibly rich, incredibly oily, incredibly problematic, incredibly destroying America's democracy and our culture, piece by piece, Roy family, we are going to be ranking. By whatever metric we would like to put out there, our five favorite fictional billionaires. Now, uh, we'll go five for five. We have flipped a coin, and we've decided that I will start. So I'm going to start. Here are my uh, five billionaires in no particular order. Uh, Number one, I'm going to go with Warren Worthington, the (laughs) angel. He mostly does good stuff and manufactures like, listen, I, I don't know how much recent events at Krakoa and the fact that, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, the mutants have gotten into pharmaceuticals like heavy. I don't know how much has fucked with uh, Warren's net worth, mm-hmm. but Warren always seemed like the chillest of the billionaires. Yeah. So I'm going to go with Warren Worthington, the Archangel uh, as my number one. Number two, uh, Smog. He wasn't hurting anybody. Like he just wanted to chill with his shit, and like it. In terms of like, you know, leveraging his wealth to destroy the world or dodging taxes. He didn't pay taxes. Yeah, I get it. But like Smog, like net bottom line, he would just wanted to sleep on his gold.
2: He got his. He got his and left. He he stayed in his bag and left. He was just chilling.
1: Like, you didn't... People didn't need to come in there and kill him when he was just, like, sleeping on his gold. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Next, I'm going to go with T'Challa, the Black Panther. Mm -hmm. Listen, we don't know. We can't put a number on it. I'm sure it's actually trillions, like, if you really want to get into... Like, he is the head of a nation state that is the most technologically advanced nation in the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, therefore he kind of owns everything and it's as close to a utopia as we have seen in that fictional world. So I'm going to go with T'Challa. It seems to be doing well for his people next, um, man, like I'm going to bring it back. The classic Jay Gatsby. <laughs> I, I, I think obviously we're doing, uh, adjusted for inflation. Like he was, <laughs> this is like, you're talking about like 1921 or whatever. So he mm-hmm. was probably a millionaire, but like, surely in today's money a billionaire side note i love reading like bronze era age comics and it's like oh my god that's that's tony stark the head of stark industries he's worth five million (laughs) dollars he has
2: a hundred thousand dollar car
1: oh my god I've never seen such wealth from Tilly Stark. (laughs) He lives in a $1 million mansion.
2: It has two (laughs) stories and a basement.
1: Unbelievable. (laughs) So I'm going to bring it back to Jay Gatsby, those Jay Gatsby vibes. Again, my guy just wanted to like fucking party on the Mm -hmm. North shore of Long Island. So I get it. Uh, Problematic guy, but still. Mm. Next. Adrian Veet, he's smarter than everybody. Everybody is so, so dumb. He is so, so smart and so, so rich. Uh, Lex Luthor vibes. I love it from my guy, Adrian Veet. You know, uh, no spoilers if you haven't read <laughs> Watchmen. I will say nothing more. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah, you're in for a ride. Uh, you know, uh, number one spot, first of all, there should be no billionaires, but there are going to be a billionaire. T'Challa is the yeah. first one I got to pick. He's actually the only good one. Uh, yeah. As you said, he has turned Wakanda into a utopia. Uh, he fights for good. Uh, he also loves his people. He's He's, he's got an uh, ear to the ground. Uh, so shout out to T'Challa for holding down the one good billionaire spot. I'm going to go with Justin Throw from the Casino Planet on Star Wars The Last Jedi as my uh, next pick. Shout out to that billionaire. You don't know his net worth, but I'm assuming he's got a lot of money. Uh, after that, I got to give a shout out to Tony Stark, one of the OG billionaires to ever do it. Uh he wanted just created a piece of armor for the world and inadvertently created Ultron. So like he's got some good and bad going on. Yeah. Uh but also he's bankrolling uh, the new Avengers. So that's
1: he got hey, a vid- good stuff.
2: Yeah, you know, he's 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 trying to, to outweigh the bad that he did, and he did save half the universe. So that's right. Gotta give it up for, for Tony Stark. Uh after that, we have number four, we have Bishop Whalen from the Alien Universe. Ooh. Uh bad billionaire. But he did explore the universe, and he did give us the the xenomorphs and the Yatcha, aka predators. So he has done good net cause for the. He has done a, a small amount <laughs> of good. I'm not going to say net. It's been a much mostly evil is what he's been doing. It's really, uh, it's really is the, a true sign of how bad capitalism can be. Uh, but yes. he did uh, introduce humans to two other alien races. And to, to top things out, I could give a shout out to my boy Seymour Burns, Seymour Montgomery Burns from The yes, Simpsons. Yes, uh, baby. Uh, true comical uh classic bad billionaire uh all I all I really want to do is learn Homer's name and after a 32 seasons he still does not know Homer from sector 7G so I'm hoping out for season 33 he'll he'll stick the landing. Uh
1: what would you do if you were a billionaire? What would your let's say you wealth was not an issue. Money was not an issue. Mm-hmm. You know, I was recently hipped to the fact that there is a sandwich shop in Eagle Rock that I'm forgetting the name of it now but it's owned by like, a former Friends writer. So, you know, <laughs> oh. you do three, four seasons of Friends. Oh, and yeah, like, network money? You get, yeah. You, you're you getting checks in the mail, like, every month that are stupid, like, yeah. stupid stuff. Mm-hmm. And so he was just like, uh, I retire now, and I open a sandwich shop, because that's what I love to do is make sandwiches. Mm-hmm. And I heard it's really good. So what if that was your life, what would your version of the sandwich shop be?
2: Oh, boy. Oh, man. I think... I I think it's gonna be a combination. I think I do a combination guitar shop. I play guitar, I'm oh. a huge guitar fan, slash like hobby shop. So like one half, I'm at the I'm at the guitar shop, I'm at the hobby shop, I'm at the combination guitar. Oh, my boy. You can't see it. Jason's got his axe up. I got my Les Paul. You can't see it right in the corner here. Uh yeah, yeah. I I do a half guitar shop and the other half would be like models and, and, and comic books and stuff.
1: I love that. Yeah. Uh I would do something similar. It, it's called Comics and Coffee. Oh, it's boy. a combination coffee shop, comic shop, and we have models, we have cards, we have all the story, trades, manga, the whole thing. And my goal would be to lose massive amounts of money every quarter. Everybody who works there makes like six figures with full benefits. That's oh, number yes. one. You're working there. That's it. Don't worry mm-hmm. about it. You're good. Two- if you're a kid from tough circumstances, free pull list, no questions asked mm-hmm. what are you what do you want? You're reading it? You can't afford it. take it home. Doesn't yeah. matter. I'm losing money on this, hand <laughs> yeah. over fist every <laughs> fucking week. We're giving yeah. shit away and then also we want to make sure we don't put any of the other local comic shops in the area out of business by giving mm-hmm. away too much free stuff. yeah, so we would uh we'd subsidize them as needed. But mm-hmm. comics and coffee that's what it would be, and the goal would be to lose like. Hundreds of thousands of dollars a month.
2: Oh yeah, I'd sign me up. Uh, I would. I would. I would swing on down to Comics and Coffee. I'd be a local there. I'll set up shop next to my guitar shop.
1: <laughs> yes, we just sit in there and jam.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, Two guitars, just like messing around. Well, folks, listen. That's it for the end game. Do you want to be rich? Do you like billionaires? Let us know whether you agree, couldn't disagree more. Share your answers <laughs> at hashtag XRV Endgame. That's XRV Endgame. And tell us what, uh, what would you do if you were getting money in the mail every single week and just had time to pursue your hobbies? Thank you, David Schilling. Thank you, Cody Ziegler, for another incredible episode of X-Ray Vision. Zig, where can the people find you?
2: You know what? Yay for Zig across all them social media platforms. Yeah. You know, I keep it simple. Uh, yeah. If you're also interested in listening to some other nerd content from me, check out the Dark Weed Pod. I host it with my homeboy Brody Reed. Uh, yes. We're not nearly as well produced as this, uh, so shout out to the producers for this show. But uh, we keep it very loose. But it's fun if you listen to yell about anime and manga and video games. Check it out.
1: And then finally, let me just say this, because Cody is too humble of a man to say this. <laughs> Amazing Spider-Man 79. Amazing Spider-Man 75. Uh, thank you. Uh, they're, they're, the Spider-Men are out there, and Cody is writing a Miles Morales Spider-Man number 25. Buy the shit. <laughs> Go to your local comic book store and buy it.
2: Thank you. Please. It, uh, it's it's a dream come true, and I am too humble to to brag about it. So please, please check them out. They're very fun. Dream come
1: true. Join us each week on Wednesday for your weekly dose of the deepest dives and hot takes. Next week, we are going to Spice World, Arrakis, where we are going to trip out on the most intense spice highs ever in our desert tent. It's going to be like Burning Man, only with gigantic worms. Please check in. If you want to learn more about what we explore in each episode, check out our listener's guide to all things X-Ray Vision in the show notes on our website and You know what? There's four Roy children, but we expect a five-star rating for the show because Cousin Greg also counts, and if you're not going to do that, then fuck off! Give the pod five stars on Apple Podcasts for Cousin Greg do it for Greg. X-Ray Vision is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Chris Lord and Saul Rubin, CP'd by myself and Sandy Gerard. Caroline Reston and Carlton Gillespie are our consulting producers and our editing and sound design by the great Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Thank you to Brian Vasquez for our theme music. Goodbye.